Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. You're a bud. I dressed up. I crossed all my T's. I dotted all my I's. I did the best that I knew how at that point in my transition. And I went up for communion as myself. I received communion, no resistance. I sat down and I lost it. The first time Fila Kupferschmidt received the Eucharist as a trans woman was in 2021, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic when the world had shut down. If you're not a regular churchgoer, receiving communion might seem like a simple act, but for Fila, who is 36 and originally from Canada, it was an act of resistance. According to official Catholic doctrine, you have to be in good standing with the Catholic Church to receive communion which means following the teachings of Jesus and the Church. Therefore, those who are in same-sex marriages, like Fila and her wife, as we will discover, are not officially allowed to receive the Eucharist. And yet, in the city of Leuve in Belgium, Fila has managed to bridge two distant worlds, challenging the status quo through activism. This is Europe Talks Back, a podcast that uncovers impactful stories from across the continent. My name is Julie Simont. In today's episode, we go to Belgium, where a woman's very identity as a transgender Catholic person bridges cultural divides and challenges stereotypes. On a rainy Sunday in late summer, Fila and her wife, Laura, arrive early to the small university parish they attend every week. Fila plucks away at a base, practicing hymns for the service. Laura assigns the Sunday Bible readings to other parishioners and greets the children by name. They all seem at home. The congregation is made up of about 50 people, a mix of students recently returned to campus and families from all over the world. The local church they attend is small, but the pews are almost full. This is a rare sight in Belgian churches today. In fact, according to a report published by the Catholic Church in Belgium, in 2021, just 2.5 of Belgian Catholics attended a Sunday Mass, compared to 43% in 1967. After the Mass, Fila invites us to sit with her in a university building not far away. First, I grew up in a small town. She speaks with a vigilant intensity, as if she can offer nothing but candor. Fila leans forward intently as she recalls two moments in her life that marked her faith and her commitment to the church. The first was when her father, who worked as a chemist, was diagnosed with cancer. For me, a young kid, I saw this person as a very powerful 
and suddenly went very, very vulnerable to this illness. And of course he survived and everything. But that's when something clicked in me that said, there's something more and I care about it. And as someone who was raised a Catholic and having that as my space where we dealt with hard stuff, I don't know, the church is where I learned how to love, uh, for better or worse. And um, it's where I went to when I couldn't find answers about things going on in my life. In high school, Fila started to develop a deep admiration for a girl at church who sang in the choir with her family. A perfect Catholic family, Fila thought at the time. I remember envying this girl in the choir so much. It was her family. And unlike your whole family sings and plays music together and praises God. And this is, it's magical. For me, this was very simple. I wanted to be this person. Looking back, Fila views her infatuation with the choir girl not as the teenage crush or the religious longing she had thought originally, but as the first awakenings of her sense of womanhood. Today, Fila sees her faith and gender as interwoven, perhaps even inextricably so. But while both evoke questions of meaning, each offers a different set of answers. For instance, as a teenager, Fila attended youth groups and sang in the church choir with one set of friends. But with her other set of friends, she partied and engaged in what she called reckless teenage attachments. In high school, I was drinking to make the voice go away. The voice that says, you have no idea what's going on. And it gave this beautiful, awful silence. One Friday night, she went to a Christian movie with her youth group friends. In the theater, she had a deeply religious experience. It called to her and stirred in her a sense of duty. After that night, she made up her mind she would become a priest. There was a definite shift where I was like, no, I need to devote my life to this. I had this strong need to give of myself. I would later realize that that's because I didn't have a self yet. I fell into a very real trap where you take not knowing yourself and not having your own identity and you fix that by using the things around you as answers and solutions. So, I mean, I love a lot of my faith journey, but it's there's heartbreak in it because I feel like I did a lot of damage to myself by being so intense. After high school, Fila went to a seminary in Canada to study for the priesthood. She studied philosophy and theology and immersed herself in a life of faith, attending daily prayers and mass with other seminarians. Oh, I loved it. Oh my God, I loved it. Because here is this institution that was telling me, this is who you are. This is who you have to be. I realize now I was just eating up tons and tons of dogmatic ways of thinking, 
They were trying to program us to think a certain way so that way when we actually got to the classes where we looked at some of the hard, vague, open questions in the Bible, we were still ready to be the good God's soldiers, you know, and hold to the truth. After three years in 2008, Fila dropped out. She says she hadn't fit in from the start. She pushed too many boundaries. She struggled with her mental health. Her professors saw, even before she did, that she would not make a good priest. They could tell I could not do a life of conformity and that I needed to be in a life where I could have more creativity and more engagement. But especially, I didn't even realize it at the time, but looking back, they knew I couldn't handle the stress load, the isolation. Fila came out as trans in 2020, just months after getting married in Belgium and while she was pursuing a PhD in philosophy. In those early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, Fila was still able to attend church each week. And so it was primarily at church that Fila transitioned, changing her clothes, her mannerisms, her voice, and later, her name. Fila started serving in the church in public roles as a woman, and months later, she built up the courage to go up for communion for the first time. I remember which church building I was celebrating Mass in in the time when I started changing how I dressed. And I remember that we had no other things going on in the world except for church. And so church was where I went to to transition. It was also during the pandemic that Fila began her medical transition. She told us that she agonized over her decision and what it meant for her marriage and her future. I felt like this was going to be a problem for my marriage. I was very insecure about that. It took me a while to accept the fact that my wife and I are actually happier this way. We had six weeks of hell when I finally decided, I, when I told Laura that I was, quote, trans enough that I wanted to try hormones. That's when it clicked for her that this was going to be something. She really settled into a like, wow, this is really is an extension of the person I met, isn't it? The unhappily hetero relationship became a queer relationship and I guess a lesbian relationship. And that was just becoming someone who could love properly was huge. That's how I knew this was gonna work and that this was gonna be okay. Fundamentally, Fila saw the transition as part of her faith journey, not contrary to it. I had to make the change because my heart was closing. I was becoming truly spiritually sick. The very long journey of accepting I had a transition, accepting that this was going to be part of my life as a Christian, all this... It's a big deal for me because it's always been about love. The Catholic Church's stance on LGBTQ issues is largely defined by the story of creation. In the beginning, God created humans, male and female, 
As a result, gender is equivalent to biological sex, and marriage should be between one man and one woman. The Church has no official policy for transgender members yet, which means that individual parishes are free to determine their own policies and culture. Some are welcoming, some are not. In 2014, for instance, Tia Pesando was accepted into a Carmelite congregation in Ontario as the world's first openly transgender nun. In general, though, trans issues are lumped together with same-sex marriage, and therefore neither affirmed nor permitted. Earlier this year, the US Council of Bishops issued guidance to Catholic hospitals that they could not provide care to those undergoing transitions, including surgery or puberty blockers. The Catholic Church in Europe has not formally weighed in on the matter. But in recent years, Pope Francis has sought to open the church to LGBTQ plus Catholics. Cada uno en su lengua, repita conmigo, todos, todos, todos. He has met privately with several trans people and, while he hasn't downplayed or reversed any historic teachings of the church, he has emphasized that Christians are to refrain from judgment. Critics, however, say that while the rhetoric may have changed, the practical realities for LGBTQ people have not. In reality, some churches adhere fervently to official policy, while others quietly ignore it. There are index markers for how you are accepted in a congregation. One, formally, is receiving communion. Then there's how are you able to lead and serve in the community. I sing in the choir. I like that. I play music in the choir. I like that. I like being invisible, but having a contribution, having an impact that I can enjoy. You know, I also do readings at the church sometimes. I don't always love that, but I'm allowed to do it. I am welcome to do it. And for that reason, I define on practical terms my congregation as a... Affirming is the wrong word, but as a welcoming congregation. That's not to say that Fila hasn't faced resistance running the spectrum from incomprehension to antipathy. As a minority in the church, she finds herself forced to defend her own presence there. That's a thing that I get. Either, why do you still come? Because why would you subject yourself to this? Or, I think it's so great that you come. I don't really know why I come, and so I don't like getting that kind of prompt. All in all, Fila acknowledges that when she needs a space to simply exist comfortably as herself, that place is not the Catholic Church. I had one woman come up to me, and she's very involved. I hope I harbor no ill will to this person. She's dear to my heart, but, you know, she made the comment that now my marriage isn't valid because I'm breaking my vow of living as a man. It took me a while to shake that one. Part of me felt like I had this duty to, like, find a canon lawyer and find out if my marriage was still valid and stuff. How can I go and pray in a place where my marriage isn't valid? Some questions Fila has often asked herself are, when should she challenge the church? When to be patient instead? And when to prioritize her own comfort and well-being? 
I know that I'm a troublemaker because when a priest says something from the pulpit, I'll tell them afterward if what they've said is something that they should keep to themselves. I don't want a single queer person to have to police their behavior at a church function in a way that anybody else doesn't. Until our queerness is a complete non-event, the work isn't over. Outside of the church, Fila participates in an LGBTQ student advocacy group on campus and occasionally goes to pride marches. She, like many activists, is constantly negotiating when to be oppositional and when to work within the system to enact incremental change. A common thing for a lot of trans people is the, the question is, what's the long-term vision here? Are you going to be talking about trans stuff for the duration of your life? Or is passing going to be the number one priority? There's this huge spectrum of whether you're going to be the trans who's like very political to like, I'm going to make myself as small and acceptable as I can. In any case, for Fila, change happens in the community, through friendship with those who have different views and life experiences. Which brings us back to the church, a place where these kinds of interactions can happen. I honestly believe that the Catholic Church has something to offer if we let it become a space of encounter and not a space of indoctrination. But How many churches are going to actually do that? How many are going to actually live up to that? I don't know. My church had to put up with some real messy stuff when I was figuring out things. And, um, you know, I'm not sure many congregations would have been as kind to me at the beginning as they were. And I'm eternally grateful for that. This summer, Fila went home to visit her family. Her dad, who's now retired, leads a choir in the same church Fila attended as a teenager. And one Sunday, Fila sang with her father. I got my dream. I got to sing in the choir as a woman with my family, well, only my dad, but... And just like, this switch flipped. It's like I had a dream I've been chasing for a while. Later, the mother of the choir girl she admired when she was a teenager came up to her. These women who had led the youth groups that I grew up with, and we were catching up, and they're very, you know, vaguely accepting the way people are in churches. And one of them had asked me, She said, I think it's so great that you still come to the church. It's moments like this where I get to just have a house of prayer. Nobody can take that away from me. As a trans woman, Fila challenges the church every day to tackle questions such as who belongs in the pews? Who has access to serve or take communion? Can these rules change? Fila's presence in the church deconstructs cultural stereotypes. 
neither faith nor identity can be crammed into slogans. As Fila put it, I'm against reductionism. One Sunday after Mass, she and her wife Laura left the church and stepped into soft, rainy weather. Fila popped open her rainbow umbrella. And under it, the couple embraced as the church bells tolled noon. We've reached the end of this week's episode of Europe Talks Back, a podcast that uncovers impactful stories from across the continent. This show is part of the Sfera Network Project and is available on Europod, a network of podcasts exploring European cultures, politics, and societies. Katie Jickling is the scriptwriter of this episode. This episode was edited by our executive editor, Alexander Damiano Ricci, and produced by Maria Dios. Our sound design is by Jeremy Bouquet. My name is Julie Simond. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where our producer will interview Katie Jickling, our reporter on the ground for this story. Bye.